We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Um, one of the words that Sue drives, describes me as, my loving wife, is she says, sir, you can be very driven. Very driven. Something I get a bee in my bonnet and I, I push through with it. And um, it's a kind of a family trait. Um, we took my mum out once and it was very hot. And we were trying to find some. My sister was with us, trying to find somewhere cool with air conditioning. And my sister, and I was driving and my sister would say, we could go to... We could go to that hotel, that would be a really good hotel. Not been there before, and it would be really good. And I'm driving thinking, no, that's not a good place. And another voice goes, no, I think we should really go to that hotel. And ten minutes later, she's still saying the same thing. She kind of gets something stuck in her brain, and that's it. And I'm like that. Um, my mother's the same. My mother's 90. We took her on holiday recently to uh, Dorset. And we said to her, um, where do you want to go today? <coughs> she's 90. Corfe Castle, she says. Well, Corfe Castle, it's a half a mile walk from the car park to the bottom of the hill, and then it's all uphill after that. But she was determined that was where she was going to go. And we, get, and we walked up the hill and we walked back again. And then we walked the whole length of Weymouth Seafront afterwards. And there's <coughs> just something in our family which is driven. And <coughs> there's something that's good about it, and there's something that can be bad about it. Because driven means that when I get hold of something that God gives me to do, I will push through with it. You know, <clears throat> you try and touch doulos when I'm needing doulos. You know, it's something, it becomes almost a, <clears throat> a thing that's mine, um, which is not a good thing. Um, but there's, there's something, in, in, there's, a, there's a drivenness. And I, and I just wanted to reflect um, on looking at the life of Jacob, because Jacob was quite driven. I'm struggling with my voice at the moment. Um, <clears throat> Jacob was quite driven. And I want to work through, look through his life and his destiny and <clears throat> just how God kind of helped him with his drivenness to become someone that actually got the thing done that God wanted him to do, but actually in a way that did it with the right heart. Because it's no good being driven and doing the thing that God wants us to do if we don't reflect God's heart in it and do the right heart. Um, in Luke, Jesus says... <coughs> The purpose of our lives is you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. <coughs> Do this, and you will live. And I'm <coughs> Theresa May moment here. Um, and he said that. And, uh, but the starting point, therefore, there's not a lot there about doing things. It's about loving God. And, and the whole focus and the starting point of our lives. And out of loving him, then that moves us on to a place where we're able to love one another. In Genesis, in, um, Genesis 28, <coughs> we're going to look at the life of Jacob. <coughs> now, Jacob just come back from a, a situation where he'd upset Esau. And he was, so he was a bit scared, so he was a bit on the run. But even in spite of that background, there's something very positive about this story. I'm going to read from verse 28 to uh, Genesis 28, verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> so Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him, and said, You must not marry any of these Canaanite women. <coughs> Grief. 
Instead, go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your grandfather Bethwell, and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children. And may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he promised to Abraham. May you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner. For God gave this land to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Padamaram <coughs> to stay with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean. <coughs> Jacob had a prophecy. He started with a prophecy. You know, his, 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 his father blessed him and gave him a prophecy. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children. So there was, there was something that was coming that was giving him a sense of purpose and a sense of destiny already coming from his, from his, fa- from, from his father. Um, and so there was a, he had a sense of purpose. Go, find yourself a wife. Go, because I'm sending you, okay? I'm sending you. He was being sent. And then on the way, if we read on, he had a dream. I'm going to read the next bit. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and travelled to Turan. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. <clears throat> Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the heaven, earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as the numerous as the dust of the earth. They were spread out in all directions to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to the land. I will not leave you until I finish giving you everything I have promised you. Wouldn't you like that promise from God? He meets God, okay, and God says, I'm with you. I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you fruitful, and I'm going to bring you back to the land that I've, that I've um, so I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to bring you back. So, not only has he got this sense of, kind of, a, his, his, his father has kind of almost put a, put a prophetic, prophetic prayer on him, he's now had a personal encounter with God, which actually confirms that. Um, it's interesting at the end, because it actually says at the end that he, he, his response to God in that was, was, was fear. He said, what an awesome place this is. It's another other than the house of God, the very gateway of heaven. And um, if God will indeed be with me and protect me in this, on this journey, and if you provide me with, with food and clothing, I will return safely to my father's home. And, and it talks about that he was very fearful too. There was a very fearful response. I can't see that a bit now, but it's a very fearful response to God. He realised that it was an awesome place and it was kind of a, this, this vision had come, this separation and it impacted his life. So he had quite a good start. He had a, had a word, he had a prophecy and he went and he had a plan. Um, he went to Padamaram and he went, where's the best place to meet people? Where well, the best place to meet people is at the well because there were shepherds and shepherds come and feed their sheep and they drink, and the sheep need to drink. So if he goes to the well, waits at the well, people will come, he can then ask to find out where, he's, where Laban is, where, where the family is. So that was his plan. So he gets to the well, and shepherds arrive, and he asks if they know 
Laban. They know the father, the father of his, his Abraham's brother, and he says, "Yes, I, 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 I do. Know, they do know him." But he says, well, "Why aren't you um, taking the lid off the well to let the the sheep drink?" And um, he said, "Well, they said the tradition here is what we do is we wait, and we wait till everybody's here. When all the shepherds are here, then we move the stone." so we could all drink together. While he was sitting there, um, this young lady, beautiful young lady arrives, um, Rachel, and he says to the shepherds, who's this? And they, they pointed out to her that this was Rachel, this is the girl that he was looking for, Laban's daughter, and uh, immediately he just felt instantly in love. And um, says he just 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 ran up and, and kissed her. That's a bit bit forward, really. But uh, <laughs> um, went up and kissed her, and 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 said, "Oh, she was a shepherd, and she had her own sheep." So he came and he removed the stone immediately. Went and removed the stone so she could drink from the well. And I thought about that. And okay, this is a driven man. He sees what he wants. He can see what God's given him in front of him, and suddenly. Stuff everybody else, stuff the traditions, stuff the customs. You know, this is what God's called me to do. I'm just going to do it. I'll go. And he just moves the stone off the well, and, 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 the, and the sheep get, get drunk. She drinks her sheep, sheep get free to drink. And um, is that the heart of God? Now, there can be a time when it's right to push on through tradition. It can be a time when... Um, you know, we look at the, the tradition gets in the way of the, the purpose of God. But there are other times when actually what we're doing here is he's not expressing the heart of God. And there was something in him that was driven for purpose, driven, he had a vision, he had a destiny, but it was about him and what God called him to do. And, but he, there was not a reflection of God's heart in the way that he was doing it. And it gets worse. Um, what then happened is that he, he goes to the family, he goes to Laban's family, you can read on the story, and um, Laban says to him, he, start, he says, well, he's, you can stay with me, and he started working, he says, you can't work for nothing, um, Laban, Laban said to Jacob, you can't work for me for nothing, what, what can I give you, let me pay you wages, and says, Laban said, no, let me stay, Jacob said, no, let me stay seven years, I'll work for you seven years, and then let me have Rachel as my wife, your daughter as your wife. So that was the agreement. He worked seven years. And um, seven years, he, he says, All right, now's my time. I've, I've worked for you seven years. Can I have my wife, please? And so Laban sets up the wedding, sets up the marriage. But uh, instead of giving him Rachel, he gives him Leah, which is the older daughter, and uh, he somehow managed to marry her, wake up the next morning and find he's in bed with the wrong woman. Um, so, <laughs> I know it's a bit of a mystery, but um, apparently they wear vows on their faces in those days, Owen. So, <laughs> but, uh, but woke up the wrong woman. And he was quite angry about it, quite angry about it. But also um, very determined that because he was driven, he said, okay. Fair enough. So he goes back to Laban, I'll work another seven years, and then will you give me Rachel? So there was so he works another seven years. And there was a sense where he was very faithful to the thing that God had given him to do. So even though there was a an obstruction, even though there was a hindrance, even though things had not worked out as planned, it didn't knock him off plan. 
He was driven. He knew what God had given him to do, and he was going to push on through until it was fulfilled. So for another seven years, he actually worked again for Laban. And then after seven years, this time he gets Rachel, and now he's got two wives, okay? Um, which seems to be the thing that happened in those days. For me, that's double trouble, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> even more trouble now. It's, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I will say this. I'm going to honour my wife. We, we've, we've been on several trips now. Over, you know, we started in, on little trips and Sue would kind of contribute a little bit when we were speaking in meetings and certainly in Mozambique. She says, I think I've got this. So I said, well, just bring it. So she brought it. And then um, just gradually as we've done more things, and it's got to the point now where I end up doing what I did this morning. She says, I've just got this to share. And uh, so she stands up and starts speaking. So I end up sitting down and waiting for her to finish. And then, and then afterwards, you get the, the guys summing up at the end. And, um, you know, George was summing up. And I, I thought, he's not mentioned anything I've said. <laughs> but everything Sue said <laughs> had a huge impact. And... Um, but it, it's quite interesting just to see, this is a complete side issue, um, but just how, as we've been away, God has just, just, just developed in those opportunities. And I, and I would encourage you guys to step out into those kind of things because, because God just puts you out there and uh, it doesn't matter how you feel about it at the time, because you're quite fearful at the time, but, but he just takes you at your word and, and just, just, you just grow, you just develop. So, um, sorry, that was, I wasn't going to say that. That might be for somebody, I don't know. <laughs> but um, that was a side issue. So, um, let me just finish. So, but we've gone to Genesis 29. And I've just told you the story of what happened. Um, and, but wait until, uh, so, at the very end of, the, of uh, verse 31. So, Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a servant, Billah, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. Jacob's many, but when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. And to me, I just found that very sobering. This guy, was, he, he had a, a word from God, he was driven, he'd seen the woman that God had for him for his wife, he got duped into marrying somebody else, but he still felt sure that this was the woman he loved. But he didn't love Leah, and Rachel didn't have children. And in the very thing that God called him to do, he was unfruitful. And he was unfruitful because there was a lack of expression, lack of recognition of, of God's heart. He wasn't expressing God's heart in the thing that he was given to do. He'd done all the right things. He'd done all he'd been given. But because there wasn't an alignment, a total alignment with the heart of God, there was a lack of fruitfulness in the thing that God had given him to do. Because God isn't interested in the things. He's interested in that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and all our strength. And, and he wasn't, there was something he needed adjusting in, something that, that needed adjusting, which resulted in him not, not being fruitful. Um, 
Psalm, Proverbs 4, verse 23, says, guard your heart above all else, because it, for it determines the course of your life. So the thing that determined the course was not the prophecy, not the revelation of God. It's where his heart was. Was his heart right with God? Was he loving God in the way that God wanted him to love him or needed him to love him so that he was then expressing the heart of God? Um, I had a situation when I was working, going back a few years now, when I was head of science. And uh, I, was, I took on the job, GCSE results 42%. Two years, GCSE results went up 62%. So it was quite successful in what I did. New strategy, very focused. Um, and a year later, my staff started to complain and, and things got quite uncomfortable. Um, they weren't happy with, with, with the way that things were going. And I thought, this, just, this can't be right. You know, I've look, look what I've done. We've got the results up. 20% increase in the number of students. You know, I mean, 50% increase in the number of students that are getting GCSE results, in good, good GCSE results in science. And, and yet, they weren't happy. And it got, you know how these things start to get out of hand? We start with some gossiping and it got to the head. And one day, the head sent me on a course. Now, if you're a teacher, you know the last thing you want to be done is sent on a course. Because <laughs> what they're actually doing is they're saying, right, we need to give them some support and demonstrate that we've given them support and then we can give them the push. So we've got to show them they've got support first. And, 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 so, and, it, and what was worse, this course was in Leicester. So not only was he giving me a little bit of support by speaking me a, a course in London, he was sending me all the way to Leicester. That's a bit of an investment, isn't it? And um, so... I was sitting on a train and, and I was not happy because I just knew things weren't going very well. And uh, I just, God met me on the train. Now John says, John tends to meet me on trains, fortunately not on the M25. But I was on this train and God just met me and, and uh, I think I was, I was listening to tape or something I was listening to. And he just said, you know, you've not got it wrong, you just need to do things differently. And it wasn't that I'd been, I'd been pursuing a strategy that was, was okay for then, but actually things needed to be different. And I think that reflecting, the thing that was different, wrong, is that I was a very focused person on the task. I had a strategy, I'd send out my emails, this is what we're going to do, this is the way we're going to do it. But what I wasn't doing is actually embracing the people that I was there to look out for. I wasn't loving the people basically. And um, I had to completely change. And they were an awkward bunch, some of them. But I had to actually change my whole approach. And God spoke to me. And I went on that course and there was a new confidence because I had something that God had put in my heart to actually see differently the way that I, I, I actually worked with those people. Um, and it was like God had changed my heart. Something had changed. And it wasn't that the strategies changed, but the way we interacted. We started to meet together for coffee and donuts on a Friday. And, and um, we started to build team in a way that was expressing care and support. Um, and I worked with those people for another probably 10 years. And, um, and several years later, Ofsted came in and they gave me a, this is not praising me, it's just what God could do. And they gave me, I was not quite outstanding, but I was given a very good as a head of department. So this was somebody about three years, two years later that was going to be 
given the sack, you know, that they were looking to sack. And the head struck my hand very, very tightly um, because of what we've done. But I needed something changed in me in the way that I did the thing. So I was doing the same thing, but I wasn't reflecting God's heart in the way that we do it. And I think that it's quite possible for us to get caught up in the things that God gives us to do, but we don't actually reflect the heart of God. John's been talking to us recently about encountering God, and he's been talking to us about about expressing um, God's love from the heart and motivation be something which comes from our heart. And, and I think this is really key as to what God's doing in our lives at the moment. Romans 2.28 says, A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, doing the stuff, rather it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. So there's a whole adjustment in the way that we, we, we see things and do things, which come from something that only the Holy Spirit can do. Only God can do this in our lives. Um, he, he's, only he can actually change our hearts and, 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 and bring that difference. Yep. Sometimes, though, and I think this is probably Jacob's problem, is we can't see it. My problem is I couldn't see it, okay? Um, and that's why we just don't need to change hearts. Sometimes we need a renewed mind. Because our minds, we come with mindsets that we carry that, that are shaped by sets of thinking. I was brought up in a very religious background, Baptist church, <coughs> which if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't know God. But they were very faithful to the revelation they have. But I came with certain mindsets, certain ways of thinking about what Christianity was and how we should be living. And, um, and sometimes you just trip up because you can't see it. Um, this is a slightly different story, but I, I wanted to fit this one in because I think it's so exciting. When we did Dulos, in two, years, two years ago, we took Dulos to Zimbabwe. Um, no, 2016, three years ago, to Zimbabwe. And we did it in three terminal chunks. And we went to, there was Lawrence's church and Lawrence's people who are very kind of relaxed and chatty and friendly and connect well and really kind of on our wavelength. And there were two other guys that came from one of George's churches um, out in the country in Kwekwe. And these guys were quite, quite religious in their there, and one was Shepherd and one was Noel. Do you remember them? Yeah, they were quite religious in their expression of things, and you know, they used the language. And, 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 and I think we probably, <coughs> Lawrence's people really getting it, these guys just a bit religious, you know, don't really understand it clearly, but they're here and they're faithful, and we're trusting that God will work in their lives. Well, we went to Quekwe. It was a, a bit of an adventure, so it's 140 miles there and back. Fuel, you have to queue five, or seven, five to seven hours to get fuel in Zimbabwe. And um, we were supposed to get fuel when we got there, and there wasn't any, so we had to come back on the same tank of fuel that we went on, which was a little bit nerve-wracking. Um, but we got to Kwekwe, and we spoke to the gut pastor, and this church was amazing. This Kwekwe church, I've never been anywhere, I don't think. Ministering was so easy. There was a real sense of the hunger and the presence of the Spirit of God there. Um, we spoke to the pastor afterwards. He says, yeah, people visit each other. He says, I said, well, what are the problems of distance? Well, they just walk. 
um, if it's too far, they'll just walk, they'll go, go and visit one another, there's just shared life was happening. He talked about if something needs to be done, you don't need to ask, somebody just steps up and does it. You know, it almost felt more lifeline than lifeline. I mean, that's not a fair assessment because we were only there for an hour, two, you know, about two or three hours. But there was a real sense of the life of God there. And he said, yeah, he says, what happened, he said, is that when those two guys did doulos, he says, every Sunday morning, I gave them the opportunity to do some teaching as well as me preach. He said, and they've really taken the lead in the church. And all the things that you taught them, they've just reproduced into the church. And he says, and the church is transformed. I said, I mean, has that happened since they've come back from Doulos? He said, yes. So, in my mindset, we looked at these guys and we thought, religious guys. But actually, what God has done something through us that has transformed the church, which will transform the community in the middle of Zimbabwe. Um, and, and, and sometimes we just don't see it. Now, that's a, a, a you know, we just don't see it because we need our, renewed, our minds renewed. Now, I w- and God was gracious there because we probably weren't expressing the right heart towards those guys. And, and often, we cannot see ourselves the, 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 the thing that God is actually doing and, 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 and we miss it for ourselves or, or we can't see for ourselves how we need to be changed, you know, that we're not there yet. Um, now, with Jacob, what actually happens, if you read on, um, he goes on to where he, he, on his way back, he encounters God again. Um, and this is a very different encounter. Can you move on to the next slide? Okay. Um, Genesis 32 says this. We'll just read this one as well. Because <coughs> waiting on God is not passive. You know, the thing that brings change is coming into the presence of God, and it's not a passive thing. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip, and it wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will long, no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. So... This was the second encounter. But this was the different encounter. This is an encounter where he said, I have met the face of God. And this was an encounter where um, Jacob was not prepared to let go, even after his hip had been dislocated. And, and there is a sense where we need to, if we want God's heart, we need to press in into God's heart. We need to pursue God's heart. You know, just, just be clear, this is not something I do myself. This, Jacob, this revelation happened while he was travelling. So God came first, but it's how we respond to what the presence of God when it's revealed to us. It's being alert, being awake. And, and we're in the season at the moment. When, when John brings words which says we need the presence of God, then you're pretty sure that the presence of God is here. 
You know, if that's direction he's taking us, then he's here. Then, but there's a sense where we need to just be alert and to wake up to that. Because the other thing that he said, John said, was, let's move on, John said, is that, that we cannot leave the presence of God without loving people more. It changes our hearts. So just going through this, this, you know, this was an intimate encounter with God. It was focused on God, not the plan or the outcome. He, he, was, he was no longer pursuing a wife. I know he had a wife, but he'd seen, he'd had all kinds of hassle on that. Now this focus of this counter was, God, I'm not going to let you go, God, until, I have, until, you, until you bless me. You know, and it resulted in, in a change. There was a change that came from this encounter. Um, he used to be called Heel Catcher, which was uh, not a very pleasant name. And then his name was changed to God Prevails. You know, God's prevailing in my life. A complete change that happened as he pressed into this encounter with God. Um, and I just mentioned earlier, we can't leave the presence of God without loving people more because God is love. So I just felt that God is, but Mark even did it in the meeting this morning, God is here amongst us. There is that presence of God. It's something he's doing nationally. In Zimbabwe, we turned up in Lawrence's church and he says, the thing that I'm really feeling, I'm trying to get everybody to read Tozer's In Pursuit of God because the thing he's pursuing is the presence of God. We go to Kwekwe Church and what, is, what are they talking about? We need the presence of God. You know, it, it, it's something God is doing um, and that's what we took to share as well. And, and here... God is revealing himself in his presence, but we need to be alert. We need to be ready to press in. So, so my question really, I do have some questions, but my main question, but what are we doing? How are we responding to what God is revealing to us at the moment? Because in the end, God's doing it because he doesn't want us to get things done. He doesn't want us to be a church that just has an influence. He does. But he wants us to be a church that reflects his heart. And it begins with loving him first. And out of loving him, then that releases his love through us into, into other situations and new situations. So, um, I don't know whether these are good questions or not. But are there areas of your life where you're working a plan and not reflecting the heart of God? Are there situations where, although you are doing the right thing, you might be missing the heart of God. Um, and then the last question, which probably is significant, where do you need to wrestle with God and not let go until you receive the blessing he has promised? Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at lifelineuk.